There were so many overlapping topics on this, so hopefully I can make it really clear and not be all over the place. So let me know if that's not happening. But basically, abortion is an example of topics that your, your neighbor, your uh, brother or sister in Christ might be interested in talking to. And I just want to lay some foundations of how to have those discussions. Uh, and then going forward after Emmanuel series, Emmanuel's series, we're going to talk about a bunch of different ethical um, discussions. And so that's going to, it's going to apply to all those. It applies to all sorts of things. It even applies to doctrinal areas. You might be surprised to find out how much your own rationality is actually getting you to your doctrine versus explicit text, those types of things. So this is what we're going to do. What, what are the differences? Why do we do them? We'll, talk, we'll review on abortion just as an example. And then what I want to do is take a little bit of a turn and say, how do you get from that secular discussion to the, to the gospel, to a biblical discussion in an ongoing relationship with somebody? And then we'll look at some other topics. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank you both for your word and for the minds that you've given us. We pray that we might, uh, you might help teach us how to rightly uh, use both. Help us to be people of the book, sola scriptura, um, the Bible alone, that that would be our ultimate uh, authority for truth. And yet we know you've, you've made us thinking beings, and so we pray that we might be faithful in how we carry out about the gifts that you've given us. And then also, Father, just to have great humility, to not be so arrogant that things are so simple to figure out that might create unity in the church, it might make us winsome in a lost world, so that we might bring them Christ. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this is somewhat of a review. We've talked about this. I'm, I'm going to switch tables on you today. I'm going to go biblical on the left and secular on the right. But basically, what are we talking about? We're basically talking about general revelation and special revelation. So things that everyone has, God has given us minds. God has given us science, right, the ability to observe. He's also given us a conscience. And so the world, everyone has a religion, really, but I'm not calling it religion today. By secular, I don't mean anti-religious. I just mean you don't really have a specific, you know, book of Revelation like the Bible to run to. Everyone has moral positions and philosophical positions. And so basically, the idea is if you're having that kind of a discussion, you're going to find out where you agree morally, and then you can kind of discuss an issue together. Uh, And then biblical has the whole range. By biblical, I don't necessarily mean central doctrines, extremely obvious doctrines in the Bible. It's the whole range. What you would turn to the Bible to, explicit and implicit texts. We have broad principles, Christian worldview implications, uh, heart motives. And then some of the specific things you kind of get into are applying the Old Testament. Christians have different views of exactly how appropriate it is to apply Old Testament in the New Covenant. And then what always comes up in these kind of discussions is where is the, the Christian freedom? So Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8 to 10, those kind of passages are always very important. So if I was going to ask you why you might focus on this a secular kind of a discussion or a biblical discussion, what would be some of your reasons? And I'll just repeat them for the mic. Why might you decide to take one approach versus another? Well, as a Christian, my 
Okay, so as a Christian, we have a biblical worldview, so everything we see has to come through the Bible. What about when you're at the park talking to people? Is it always straight to the text? Not to the text, per se, but you're always bringing in, in biblical. Always bringing it back in. Okay. Because that's your, that's your source, right? That's your authority. So a wide range of topics are then always coming back to the Bible. Okay, good. Anyone else? Yeah. So we're assessing the audience. What, what about the audience are you assessing to make a decision? Okay, the starting points. Source of authority. Type of arguments they use in their positions. Good, good. Here's the right answer. Just kidding. <laughs> so you might say biblical. You might think of a a Romans one. The gospel is the power of God, right? And Jesus, the disciples, whoever, just declaring God's word. Right? We know the word of God is power. It has power. It will run. It doesn't need any help, right? We know behind the scenes. God is softening the soil so that the seed, when it comes in, will bear fruit. And we don't control any of that. All we can do is spread the seed, right? We have no control. It's a, it's a holy language. It's a special language, which this world needs, right? If, if we're just bringing another way of a self-help technique that you could get in a Hallmark card, what are we really doing for them? So even though that might be palatable to them, it might be more, uh, they might want to listen more, it might just be tickling to the ears, right? We know that they know us because they listen to us, that he is in enemy, that they've been born of God, 1 John. It cuts to the heart. It cuts to the conscience. It cuts through the argumentation. Like, I, I remember I came to faith. Part of my journey was there's this, they're, they're kind of a wild, really wildly charismatic, way over the top group, but they'd always be out on the whiskey row in my town, all the, all the, um, all the bars, and they'd just be out shouting down, you know, drunkenness and stuff. And um, we would sit there and blare their dirty rap music, you know, from the late 80s. Uh, but man, they said a few things that just sunk. And I had to start really considering them. Um, like, you know, I, I put on a good face, but I actually, it cut to the heart. It cut right through. And I particularly think of this if time is short, right? If you're on somebody's deathbed, it's not time to mess around and kind of butter them up, right? You got to give them the gospel. Or maybe, you know, excruciating three hours for your airplane seatmate, whatever. Uh, and then you might think secular. We have a biblical, we have a biblical, it, all right, I'll stand by. It's going to save these, but Mark has to talk every 30 minutes or he dies. <laughs> is, is it on? I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. Is it on? You know, you want to talk about this subject with somebody the same way you would speak about the gospel. You want to befriend them first. You need to, like you were just saying, you can sit there and, and shout the biblical slogans to people and they're just going to wall off. But to, to befriend them, to, sure. you know what How I'm saying? How you talk, not just what you say. Yeah. So, and, have a, and build a relationship. Yeah. So whether you're talking about biblical or secular, you need to think about 
how you are as the presenter, how gentle Absolutely. you are. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If you use biblical or secular, I think that's really important. Um, and it really kind of comes back to, you know, you're trying to be biblically faithful, but you want to do it in a pastorally sensitive way at all times, right? Speak the truth in love and be culturally conversant so that they understand what you're saying, right? If you come out with a lot of uh, reformed Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, you know, your neighbor, that's not good. And it's not good in class, even though I have Latin up there right now. Um, so secondly, you might look at Paul's approach on Mars Hill in Acts 17, right? He comes into their culture. He's observing their places of worship. You know, a, a, an altar with an inscription to the unknown. He's, he's meeting them where they're at and going from there and then declaring the gospel. And so you might do it because they might be less dismissive. You have to balance that with, you know, screw that. I'm going to be authoritative and cut to the heart. Accessible language. I think that's a really important thing. We have got to, depending on who you're talking to, unchristianize your language. I, I really implore you to do it. There is a time to build them up. It's, there's a time not to stay in that lowest common language. But if you're not communicating, what's the point? Don't use propitiation with your friend. They just, you, why? You're, you're losing. Even things like faith and repentance have connotations that you need to take the time to explain. So use the best language you can to, so that they understand, not that you can say, well, I did my job, right? I think this kind of reasoning helps demonstrate that, that the Bible is reasonable. God is a reasonable, a rational God, and that you're capable of, of real reason and thoughtfulness. Because I think oftentimes people see Christians as just flippant, God of the gaps kind of thing. Well, we can't explain it, it must be God, and where's my Bible, and here's the verse. But there is more to it than that. And of course, we want to do it in a way, and we're going to talk about this today. How do you take it from that discussion, that realm, that specific topic, and get to the Bible and gospel? So I don't know if you noticed, the, the way I was doing the secular reasoning with abortion was really to lay that foundation to go further which we'll see. And especially, I think, and I think this is where Mark's going, especially if you have some kind of ongoing relationship. If you're going to have multiple chances with this person, um, you might think about prioritizing building that relationship. Again, I, I don't think there's any black or white here. I think all of these are important. I think you're missing my next slide. So let me stop there. All right. So uh, it, this will be in the notes afterwards, but some, I, I kind of have a solid wall going here. What is that? I kind of have a, you know, a vertical line going through there, but th really these kind of worlds are a little fuzzier than they might seem. Let me give you some examples. Well, number one, the fact that we're made in the image of God means that we're rational beings. That's part of what it means to be in the image of God. The very fact that the Bible tells you to seek for wisdom and seek counsel presumes that the Bible's not going to cover every situation. It presumes at some point you're going to take what the Bible has and you're going to have to apply that different situations. That takes a mind. That takes thought. That takes rationality. And so you're kind of getting into somewhat this realm. We are, we're rational people. These are some of the phrases the Bible says, come let us reason together. Does not nature tell you such and such? You, the writer is rebuking the audience for not recognizing something in nature. See how the farmer waits for the early and the late rains, right? Notice, observe things in the world and apply them. We ought to apply those to understand what the Bible tells us. The very idea of textualism. So the Bibles that we hold in our hands or on our phones, right? 
That is the product of a lot of secular wisdom, understanding languages, understanding manuscript evidence, stuff that the Bible doesn't teach you. So our, our biblical and secular reasonings are actually very much intertwined. And as I go through some, some of these topics today, even though I'm kind of choosing a, a column for them to go in, really there's a lot of overlap there. All right, so just as an example, and this is all review, on the biblical side, we looked at explicit and implicit texts. So we saw that God created us in, the mother, in our mother's womb. He was intricately involved. We were already seen as a person in the womb. We have Exodus 21 there where, you know, a, a miscarriage is created and there's a penalty fine. And the, the argument goes is that clearly that is identified as a person. Otherwise, you wouldn't have such penalties. Psalm 51 uh, I was brought forth in iniquity, so somehow that, that's really an indication that there's a soul involved. I have a question on, you know, we test two babies, and medically, at some point, we're literally creating human in a lab, so when does the soul get added, right? That's a nice question to, to ponder. And then we have some, you know, less explicit things. We see that John the Baptist leapt in the womb over Jesus, so clearly they're both people. And then we get into heart, heart motives, like what? The Bible is very positive about having children and wanting to have children. And that's gonna challenge a lot of us even beyond abortion. So even if abortion was just another legitimate way of having contraception, you would wanna challenge someone, well, why, why are you want, not wanting a child that God has given you, right? That kind of questions. And then we asked how central should abortion be in our churches, right? Do we make it a, a reason to come in the door, to come to the table, uh, to become an elder? Like how central is it? Should it be in our confessions? That was last week, if you missed last week. On the secular side, we looked at both a scientific and a philosophical reasoning. Scientifically, the fetus is a human baby. Otherwise, what else is it? And philosophically, we just say it's, it's wrong to purposely kill an innocent person. It's kind of a simple argument. And then you can go into all sorts of specifics on that. But essentially, my main retort to anybody is, well, would you do that to a six-month-old? Well, why not? you know, t tell me the difference between those two entities. All right, so now I want to talk about how to get from the secular to the gospel. Now, I kind of, these points should look familiar to you from the first week. I kind of sold these to you as tactical arguments, the way to have a tactically effective argument uh, with, your, with your neighbor um, to win the argument, or at least to, you know, challenge them that they haven't thought this through as much as they had. But actually, they were also, sneakily enough, they are ways for you to do exactly what I want you to do. The reason I chose these things is because they are good pivot points in a relationship to get to biblical truth. So we want to love them. This is what Mark was talking about. How you converse with pastoral sensitivity might speak way more volumes than what you say that day. Or even should you stop talking and just be an open ear for someone who needs to cry out. Um... Focus on morality and ethics, not law and politics. Not only because that avoids a lot of, you know, extraneous kind of conversation, but it's, it's the morality and ethics that I want to focus on because that's what's going to get me back to the Bible, back to God, back to biblical truths, who they are as a person and who God is and what he demands as a lawgiver. Asking rational questions isn't just a debate tactic. So, hey, I'm going to put the onus on you to argue. I'm recognizing in them that they are image bearers of God. They are rational beings. And I'm showing them that I'm a rational being. 
uh, and that I, I rely, we have to be humble enough to know that our positions aren't always explicit chapter verse, even if someone accepts the Bible, that I have to reason myself. I'm demonstrating my ability to think through, to take the time to think through, that shows love for them and love for their concern. I'm not running to some script, right? That's the people who used to evangelize at the door all the time. And God bless them because I don't do that, and I probably should. But sometimes the way they do it is just got to get back to my script. No, I'm talking to you. Please listen to me, right? You're showing love to them as your neighbor. And then agreeing in principle as well is recognizing, I eventually want to show them that really you have a position that you can't defend, and I want to tell you that's because God made you that way. You're twisting it with your other logic, but I, I again, I'm getting to, to them as a person and as a creature. It's, that's my chance to show them, okay, I said on the secular that we kind of start with some moral position and move forward. This is where I kind of start challenging and going backwards. Why do you think that? Why do you think people have rights? Why do you think people should be treated equally? They, most people do not have an answer. They haven't thought of that. They just assume that's what everybody thinks. And you start going back to those foundations. So, these are some things I said on abortion itself. So we want to listen to the story, considering dealings, I said that. Where does the intrinsic worth of people come from? That's, that's challenging those foundations. Why do you have intrinsic worth? I agree with you. We have intrinsic worth. You have intrinsic worth. I would defend you, right? I would give my life for people. Why? Where does that come from? And now you're really getting away from abortion or whatever topic, and you're getting into the much broader Christian worldview themes. And, that, and that's why you, know, you might soften them a little bit, cut down some of their defenses. They might find out that their first two parry motions are, are, are useless, and that nothing else, if nothing else, we're on common ground. They thought they had some rock-solid defense. Ah, pain and suffering in the world, or you know, whatever their defense is, they think it's so rock solid. And once you bat those two away, they find out they're left defenseless. They're kind of in a vulnerable position. It's when you come in with the gospel, <laughs> slay them. Not totally joking. Why should, so these are the types of questions I was asking in the abortion. Why should our selfishness cost someone else their life? I'm not ready to be a mom. I'm not ready to have a child. I have the burden of carrying this thing for nine months. It's not fair. Men don't have to do this. Okay, you don't even have to get into some of that. But you're about to end a life. How does that compare? Please tell me how that compares. And you can agree with things like, I, I would, in a conversation, I would be happy to say this. If, you're, if your concern is actually the life of the mother and we're choosing one life over another, I'm going to totally grant you that. I would totally grant you that. I'm not even going to get into that because that sounds like a godly motivation to me. I know politically that's not what actually happens because now emotional trauma becomes the life of the mother. But in a moral conversation with a neighbor, I won't even go there. Fine. If, if that's what we abort for, I'm, I'm not even going to argue. Of course you want to get to we're all guilty of worthy of death. You can very easily come off saying all the right things that I'm looking down on you, I'm self-righteous. Especially if they've been involved in an abortion, right? That could very much. You might not mean it. You might have the sweetest tone. It's that, that's the truth of God cutting to their heart. And you need to quickly come around them as a fellow sinner in need of grace and the gospel. We're all guilty. Yes, I do believe abortion is murder, but I'm a murderer too. I have been angry with my brother, and the Bible tells me I am a murderer, 
and guilty of the same punishment that you are. Let me tell you where I found help. And of course, tell them that there is forgiveness available in Christ. Tell them it's possible. So that none of that is diminishing the biblical faithfulness, right? It's just bringing in the sensitivity that they need, and it brings the gospel that they need. What's the point? I'm not trying to make them pro-life political voters, am I? <laughs> no, it does nothing for them. They'll be in hell as a pro-life political voter, right, without Christ. All right, we're about to go to some other topics. Fun, fun. Do not focus on my position. That's not the point. I'm trying to, to show how, so when, a, when there's a topic um, that comes up, you can discern in your own mind, okay, is this, how much am I relying on Bible? How much am I relying on my secular thinking? And then even when I'm relying on the Bible, how central and obvious and explicit is it? Because that ends up letting you have the right amount of focus when something is that clear and that important, you go for it with boldness. And the other times you have humility and you kind of step back and, all right, this is not something to break fellowship over. This is not something to spend my, a lot of time on, right? I go through seasons and I come away from it. Like, that's part of what it kind of means to be gospel-centered, right? Everything is worth talking about. The Bible touches on everything, but there are things that are worth more of our time and our energy, and certainly when it comes to breaking fellowship. So the first couple of these is, is a bit of a review from the last three years. You've already heard me say a lot of these things. I've chosen five at, at the most for font size limitations, which is probably good. There's much more that could be said on each of these topics, right? So these are my positions. Some of them you'll see my positions. I don't, I don't care. Some of these I hold 55%, some I hold 90%. Shouldn't matter. All right. Who to vote for? We did this a while back. So biblically, I like the way Guy said it. Figure out which, which candidate's policies would show love to your neighbor, or do love for your neighbor, do justice, and vote for that person. That's as simple as it is. No one can argue that we should vote with the mind of loving, loving neighbor and doing justice in society. Now, we might disagree on how to get there, right? But if that's your motive, go for it, right? You already know my position that who you vote for, or even the reason to vote, is, a, is Christian freedom. We can't mandate that. Now, um, I do believe abortion is murder, and so that's going to be um, that's going to be an important thing, right? It, how much you think that matters is another thing. We'll get to that on the secular side, but I I have a, my own, you know, the most important thing for me in election is abortion. I'm not saying it should be for you; it just is for me. And then care for the poor. So our argument, really, with whoever votes a different way, isn't that we should care for the poor. That should be obvious to be honest. And if that's not coming out in your conversation that you want to care for the poor, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> if, if, if one side says, well, I want to care for the poor and say, well, you know, leave that to whoever, they should first hear, I agree with you, but I want to care, I think it's better to care for the poor this way. It's more effective this way than this way, right? That, they should hear you saying that if you care for the poor. Go back to our social justice study. We talked a whole lesson on what, how much the Bible talks about the poor. Pay your taxes, that's biblical. It's not stealing, some of you disagree with me. It's not stealing, read Romans 13, pay your taxes. Don't lie in your taxes. Remember I said that the two biggest hypocrites are a liberal who lies on their taxes and then a conservative who doesn't give to charity, right? Honor the emperor. The way you talk about your political leaders should show honor and respect. 
ultimately trust King Jesus. This is probably my biggest thing. Man, I hate hero worship. I just hate it. I despise it. Um, like, I, I voted for Trump. I was happy to vote for Trump because I'll show you why on my secular side. And I don't like him. <laughs> I'm not going to be a big Trump worshiper. I'm just not. Hopefully I can see his, you know, his issues. But the secular side is why I came to my decisions, right? So remember the three Ps? Policies, personal character, and, and practicalities. The way people vote. Number one is obviously the policies. So abortion, obviously, because that's what we've been talking about. Um, the effectiveness of big government. That's not a biblical position. Capitalism versus socialism. Now, by socialism, I put in quotes because if you remember I said, if you really are against private property, I think you're being unbiblical. I think that's a biblical stance we can show from Scripture. But if, if you're talking about what people call socialism, tax rates, tax structures, the Bible says nothing on that. Romans 13 says the ministers of God are, are called to do well and to pay them taxes to do good in society. How far do you go? That, that, in my mind, you're totally in the secular realm talking about what's effective and what's good. Do you think your, your brother is less Christian than you because they think they should have higher taxes? Um, you can't prove that biblically in my position. And so you gotta back off some. Even on abortion, I have had Christian friends say, I don't put very much into abortion because I don't see, say it's the presidential election, I don't see that really changing anything in practicality because it's really down to the courts, right? And I don't think we'll get enough conservative justice, whatever. There's a reasoning there that I don't agree with, but I can see why, how they get there. I can see how they, they, they are able to get abortion off the table as high in their minds as it is from mine, and then look at other policies and make a decision. And of course, my family in the UK, abortion's not a political issue. It's just accepted. <laughs> so just take, think about it now. If abortion was not a Republican Party platform, how would you look at all the issues? And you could probably see a lot more variably, you know, among the church. Personal character, how important is that to you? Again, in my mind, I'm not voting for a pastor, I'm voting for a president. But I totally understand someone who just morally, I'm not going to vote for ex, you know, Biden, Trump, whoever, Clinton a couple years ago, because of whatever moral failures. They put the, maybe the person, personal character above the policies. I, I, that's rational to me, that's reasonable. That's fine with me. And then practicalities, like, do you view voting, going to the ballot box, as a moral weight? Like, I need to be able to tell my children who I voted for. Is it just practical? For me, it's practical. I have a binary choice. I know there's third and fourth parties. I think they're meaningless. To me, it's practical. I either get this person or this person, so I'm forced to make a decision. Other people don't see it that way. They see it as, as signaling, like, well, I want to tell both parties I don't like any of these people. I want to get, you know, 3D chess to the next election. Fine, I, I think that's re reasonable and rational. We just look at voting a different way. That's okay with me. There go my notes. All right, just go off the slides. Social justice. So there's biblical things that we ought to care about right away with social justice. Racism and sexism is sin. It's the sin of partiality. We should not think of someone greater or lesser for these reasons, by any means. Again, as we talk about this subject, that ought to come out loud and clear in our discussion, that we, are, we hate racism, we hate sexism, or whatever ism social justice covers. 
probably the biggest thing for me, again, you can go back almost three years now, can you believe it, when we went 11 weeks on this subject. Our primary identity is in Christ. So whatever you think of the different groups, group mentalities that are out there, my biggest issue, especially in a one-on-one counseling situation, is, man, your identity is in Christ. That's all that matters. I'm not saying that dismisses other identities. Um, I don't understand the commitment to a Welsh identity as much as my wife and family, right? It's just, it's not me. I'm from Arizona. We weren't even north or south. Like, we were neutral. Like, I don't, uh, we're all individuals, right, Mark? But our primary, biblically, our, that's what I care about most. However you get there, our identity is in Christ. Should we apply Old Testament laws? There, there's, there's some Christians that say, this is easy. Don't listen to social justice. We have 666 laws in the Old Testament that tell us how to do justice in society. Again, that goes back to your, how you understand the law and the covenants. Is social change a church priority? Right? That's a question that Christians will disagree on, but they're going to be using the Bible to agree or disagree on it. They're going to go to lots of passages uh, and go back to that study if you want. We, we covered that. You know, some people think we're, we're a force for social change in the world, and some people say, no, you need to concentrate on the gospel and let individuals and parachurch organizations do those things. That's a fair debate in my mind. And then restorative justice is biblical. I've come to more of that position. I'm, I'm, I'm less harsh on reparations. You'll see all there on the right. I don't think they're very practical, but if they were practical, I'd actually be for them, right, from a, from a biblical um, standpoint. That's my own, my own position. And then on the secular side, I say, you know, are you for or against quotas, right, affirmative action? I don't think that's a biblical argument, right? It, it probably overlaps with a lot of things I've shown there on the left, but you know, that some of that is more statistical and do they do more bad than good uh, overall or more good than bad? That's something you can discuss. Are crime statistics that, you know, are just against minorities, is that more to do to cultural reasons or to real racism in the police force and society? I think, I, I don't think your position is biblical. I don't. I think you're running to stats and you're trying to discern stats. So we have to have some humility there. The police interaction, same thing. Uh, it's a very complex subject in my mind. I think the wage gap is largely not fully explainable. Um, the gender wage gap, mainly, I'm thinking there. But uh, again, I, that's not a biblical position I have. I, I don't claim the Bible. I don't wave the Bible to, to make that case. All right, COVID lockdowns and vaccines, everyone's favorite subject. All right, so there are some biblical you know, the, the type of fear that many people went through, we want to reach them with the gospel over that fear. I don't, yeah, I might use some statistics to bat away that fear, but what, we, if, if this wasn't the plague, a plague could still come. What are you going to tell them then, right? They, they need the gospel in that moment more than anything. Why are you fear? Why are you scared of dying? Like what? Do you, you know, if it's your brother or sister, do you not believe when God says, you know, I love you, don't forsake me. Um, obviously, it's a biblical position. You've got to have a position on what it means to submit to government authorities. Don't come to your position because of what you want to happen during COVID lockdowns, right? Come to a biblical position and then, and then apply it. Now, a new thing like that, I think if this did for a lot of Christians, they would have generally said, we submit to government, we submit to government. And when it came to this issue, they said, wait a minute, and they started restudying that issue. <laughs> you gotta be careful, right? Because you don't wanna force yourself to get to a, a conclusion that you want. You wanna have a good, found, biblical position and then apply it to the situation.
how important is in-person fellowship versus, you know, Zoom church? How important are coming to the sacraments, right? Christians are going to disagree on that. You've got to have a, a good biblical foundation that might affect your view on these things. Humility and arrogance. One of the, and I, I fall into this. It kills me when someone just bats off some scientific expert, some medical expert. Like, they'll, they're supposed to know better. Like, really? How do you... Please explain to me. I'm not, they might be wrong. You might be right. I, I'm okay with that, but you can't just throw them out. Like, <laughs> there's some real expertise here. We, we do believe in a rational God, and so God has clearly equipped these people with certain credentials, and yes, they're overused. Yes, they be, can be arrogant, but man, the way some Christians talk, it just, pff, they're idiots. They can't be right. Okay, you've got to do a little better than that. Show some humility. I think that has lacked a lot in these conversations. And then, of course, a lot of reason why people don't do the vaccine is because of whatever complicity they see in the, you know, aborted fetal cells. And that is a biblical and ethical issue. So, you know, for me to do harm is worse than to refrain to keep you from being harmed by someone else, right? There's, I'm, it's, I'm more complicit if I do you harm than I'm less complicit if I just, you know, keep someone else from hurting you. And maybe I should still do that. And then, and so with the aborted fetal cells, you say, okay, were they really used? Um, if you were going to go abort your fetus for the sake of developing medicine, you'd be more complicit than, you know, in the early 70s, there were aborted fetuses, and now instead of discarding all the cells, we've used them for future research. I'm not telling you to have a certain position on there, but that is a difference, right? And so you have to, you have to think through these things. I think one of our ethical lessons will just be on a whole range of medical ethical questions. Um, You've got to think through that. Like, well, the baby's already dead. Why don't I get some benefit out of it? Or by doing that, am I going to encourage more abortions in the future? I think that's a fair discussion. At least as a category, I think it's a fair discussion to have. All right, on the secular, you know, were the lockdowns worse than the disease or vice versa? Again, you're going to run to stats. You're going to run to your experts. Everybody has their experts on whatever side. my own, my own concern in the, uh, in the whole thing, I didn't really want to challenge the medicine. That was my point. I just didn't believe we should follow the science. I thought it was a political decision that we should be making. We should be balancing the risks. It's my own. A lot of you could disagree. That's fine. But, you know, that's a secular argument. My point is that's not a biblical argument. In our own country, we have, you know, who is the king? Who is the emperor? Who is the ultimate authority? First Peter 2 tells us to submit to the emperor and the governor is appointed by him. Well, is the Constitution our king? So we might kind of have an out in our country. We're, in Britain, they don't have an out, right? So that might go into your submitted uh, government authorities. Again, risk of death versus quality of life. Which scientists are credible? I agree with some of your Facebook posts. I want to rely on the CDC. I want to rely on these experts. And it's unfortunate that sometimes they conduct themselves, in my opinion, in a way that destroys that credibility. Um, hopefully it won't go all the other way and, and never trust anybody. And then, of course, the details of all that fetal cell usage comes in. You've got to understand the history that comes up to that. I think it's a good biblical category to consider, but exactly how you come to your decision might come to a lot of secular knowledge. Oh, boy. Creation and age of the earth. This should be fun. Why did I do this blank? What's that? No, I can't remember why I was pausing because my notes shut down. We'll just jump into it then. How about that? Oh, I guess I'll just tell my story. 
So we, for a long time in my Christian life, I, not a long time, a few years, I was involved in churches that very much were huge into young earth creationism. Um, and we would do whole Bible studies. And I remember getting, you know, back then, getting a 12-set cassette tape by a famous pastor. To, and it's, so this pastor spends 12, uh, 12 sermons basically going through geology and biology. He's a smart guy. I'm not saying he can't do that. It's not really his field of expertise. But, and it was very convincing, actually. Um, oh, I, that's what I missed. So on this person's website for their, um, their doctrinal statement, it says, we believe, basically, in the inerrancy of God, such as that, that produces a six-day creationism. So he's tying creationism, young earth creationism, to inerrancy. He's so connecting those that the one naturally follows the other. And that's what I disagree with. I think you can be an inerrantist completely and not believe in young earth um, creationism. So that's their position. And then I'd see these debates, these young earthers with these evolutionists and having to be, and it actually was surprising that this amateur young earther could often do pretty well in these debates. It's actually pretty surprising. Um, but sometimes this is what I ask. If someone says, hey, how old do you think the earth is? I say, well, evidently it's 4.5 years, right? That's what the evidence shows. Apparently it's this. I'm kind of like scoffing the question. I'm trying to sidestep the question maybe to get to whatever issue I really want to get to. Like, I'm just dismissing it. I'm not really answering it. I'm not really coming down in a position. Evidently, that's what it is. Or I might say, I don't know and I don't really care. Now that's going to pour salt on some of you. Because I think the real passion in this question is not the age of the earth. I think the real question is the inerrancy of the scriptures, right? And then theological things like, if, is there a historical Adam? And the implications of that means when Jesus is the second Adam, what does that mean if there's no first Adam? I think those are the things that people really care about, what are really driving themselves. I think if you were shown that the Bible faithfully could tell you that the world is 4.5 billion years old, it, it wouldn't really change much for you. It's just, okay, what do all these passages mean? That's what you really care. I think that actually drives a lot about uh, women teaching. The, the big thing when I get in that discussion is, would it totally rock my world that I found out that the Bible supported women preaching? I don't think so. The thing that really perks up my mind whenever I hear it is, but where did you get that? Because, you know, these texts show me that it's, it's this. It's clearly this. There probably are some other implications there I'm not thinking of. But sometimes there are, there's more central truths that are actually driving, driving us. And just to be aware of that, that's okay. So my position really is, well, if the Bible means to teach a young earth, then I believe it. And, I, and I'm, I'm okay to scoff all the scientific evidence. If that's clearly what Scripture teaches, then I have to say, well, why, why is the scientific evidence so bad? You know, if God created a world with age, why are you so mad at scientists that find that age? Why, why, would, that, why would that be so surprising? If God creates a full-born man and a scientist comes along and says, oh, it looks like he's 30 years old. They've done nothing wrong. That's the evidence God gave them. Why would you be so surprised at that? So you look at things like genre, author's intent. We're going to mercifully run out of time for your questions. This is awesome. <laughs> so I, wanted, I won't spend any time on this, but a lot of your discussions will get into natural science, what we tend to call science, the natural sciences. I just want to say there, there doesn't have to be some massive rift between science and faith. And of course, this is its own Sunday school topic. You know, science tries to answer the what, sometimes the how, never answers the why. It's impossible. It's not even in its purview. It relies on assumptions that it can't even prove. It even relies on logic and rationality. 
You know you can't prove the laws of logic? It's impossible. You just, we just assume it. Science completely, what if, what if the world isn't logical and rational? It's actually an argument for God, the fact that it is. Things like continuity, uniformity, the speed of light. Like, how old is the earth? Well, part of the evidence is that, that light from that star, you know, traveling at the speed of light took so long. Well, what if the speed of light has changed? We can't prove that it hasn't, right? There's things like that that are just assumed. It's rational that you assume those. You have to assume something. It's okay. The idea of miracles and the supernatural aren't even covered by science. That's not a conflict. You're just not even talking in the same realm. It's like saying two plus two is orange. It's just, it doesn't, it's a completely different category. Scientists are flawed humans, yes, and of course, they're gonna make mistakes. Now the scientific process and consensus that's developed over time is pretty rigorous, so we don't wanna be too flippant. Um, there's prejudice, yes, they throw out evidence that doesn't comport to their findings, yes, that happens, either knowingly or unknowingly, that does happen, so just be aware of it. So then, I kind of hit all these things already, I think. So I have a challenge. I am open to a, an older Earth. Um, I have real questions of what it means for a historical atom. Maybe you can get to an older Earth and still have a historical atom. Some people have that position. That's where I'm at currently. I used to be a pretty adamant young Earth creationist. Now, there's all sorts of things that the sec will be on the secular side. January 6th insurrection, you ready? I'm not even that stupid. <laughs> I'm stupid, but not that stupid. Okay, I was gonna let you choose on this topic, we don't have time. Let's just, one last one. I threw this together in 10 minutes. I tried to cover up the screen so you can see it. Um, I threw this together in 10 minutes. This is the kind of thing. I just wanted to do something quickly without a lot of thought. Gambling. So but biblically, I think, okay, am I trusting God's sovereignty or, you know, or luck and chance? I think that's a biblical issue. There are hard issues like greed, coveting, the love of money. Clearly the Bible speaks to. Is that motivating me at gambling? That's a problem, right? The creation mandate, we're to rule the earth and subdue the earth through fruitful labor. Is this fruitful labor? Are you producing anything? Redeeming the time, right? Is this a waste of time? The Old Testament talks about casting the lots. Can you apply that to modern day gambling? I'll leave that to you. Is that more testing God or is that the little cast of the die is something that's evil? Those are the kind of things that people might bring up. On the secular side, people would, would tell you, well, you know, think about yourself, think about others, and think about society. So personal addiction and financial ruin, that's a real risk that even non-Christians recognize, right? You gotta be, take that seriously. You're taking from others that might be in need. Okay, maybe you don't have a gambling problem, what if they do? And you're now complicit in that. And then just bad societal things, there's all sorts of stats you can run to, like the strip looks beautiful, go one, one street you know, east of there. Completely different animal, right? Did the gambling industry do that? It's all nice. We all have probably nice, nicely valued homes because of the gaming industry here, but who, who is paying the cost? So that would be interesting. Some of you probably have a lot to say to that. You treat this as your entertainment budget, right? Any entertainment could be seen as a waste of time. If this is just your entertainment and you budget your time and money appropriately, maybe that's okay. Well, what about the stock market? It, investing is encouraged. Isn't that just gambling? Well, I would say that nothing else, go back to those heart motives. Are you... Are you going to the stock market to make a quick gain? I, there was a Leviticus passage there that I don't have up, but basically said that, you know, wicked gain, like it's better to, to earn little by little, right? That's a, that's a, it's a Proverb 17, I think it was. There's, there's a biblical thing that you should just earn little by little. Don't try to get rich quick. 
there's caution in that in the, in the scriptures. Right? We shouldn't expect that and throw everything in. So much more can be said. You apply this to any topic. Um, again, if there's a specific ethical issue you want us to cover in the next few months, um, let us know. Hopefully next week I'm going to talk about just war theory just because that's in the headlines. I haven't started prepping, so if I look at that and say it's too scary, I'll do something else. But hopefully that's the plan next week. And then Emmanuel's going to take us through, uh, I think it's King Hezekiah. Um, and then we're going to kind of start an ethical series. We might have to go back and forth a little bit because of people's schedules. All right, let's pray. Our Father, again, we thank you for your word and we thank you for our minds. We pray that you would lead us to be uh, biblically faithful, that we would come to biblical positions faithfully, using your word and believing it. Then we'd be pastorally sensitive in talking about those issues and help us also just to be culturally conversant, showing love for our neighbor, to speak to them in a way that they can understand and to communicate effectively. Give us wisdom. You promise wisdom. Help us to know the words to say, when to speak, when not to speak, and give us great humility, both as a church that we are unified and that we are gospel-centered, and humility in front of our neighbor so they don't just see Christians as some self-righteous people, but that they would see us as fellow sinners in the need of grace and that we have a Savior for them. Help us now lead us in our, in our worship, our preaching, and the Lord's table. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.